If you would be opening your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. For those that are normally in this class, we went over this last week, but we're going to, uh, based on some additional scripture, we're going to touch on this again today because I think this is a really important topic. Uh, We're talking about the second coming of Christ. And we're talking in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's first letter that he ever wrote in about 50 to 51 A.D. Um, This is the very first epistle that he wrote. Uh, About six months after he wrote this epistle, he wrote the second letter to the Thessalonians because there were still some people confused about the second coming. Some people were confused as to why it hadn't occurred already. What was wrong with the what was wrong with the fact that they're or whether they were misinformed about the fact that their loved ones what would happen to their loved ones at the second coming, and so Paul lays out in the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 13 of First Thessalonians, the events that will take place at the second coming of the Lord. The question arises: Why? Why would Paul? Why would Paul want to do this? Why would he want to tell? Why would Why would Christ? who spoke about this during his ministry on earth. Why would Christ want to talk about something like this? And obviously it's because there are questions about this, about the end of the world. We have questions about it today. The denominational world is fraught with error concerning the second coming of Christ. So as we mentioned last week in, in this class, we know everything that we need to know about the second coming of Christ except what? The when. We don't know that. And so as we begin to piece this together, we can't tell you the when. What did Jesus say about the second coming? What did he say about that day? No one knows. Not me, Jesus, not the Son, nor the angels in heaven, but the Father only. God knows. And he will bring about the return of his Son, For the second time, Jesus came the first time, and he came as what? He came as your Savior. He died on the cross. He was resurrected after three days and now sits at the right hand of God. The second time he returns, he returns as what? He returns as judge. He will no longer be your Savior. He will no longer be able to save you. He will judge you. He will judge every one of us. The Bible says that he will judge those who drove the nails into his hands. He will judge the whole world. But you as an individual, when you go home today and look in that mirror, God is going to judge you on that day. And as far as I know, from my Bible and from my study, he's going to judge you on three things. He's going to judge you on the things that you've done. And he's going to judge you on the things that you haven't done. So when you spoke to someone about Jesus, when you studied with someone, when you sat down with them and you studied in the quiet of their home or yours, no one knew about that except you and the Lord. He's going to judge you for those things, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. He's going to judge you on every secret thing that you've done. So when you're by yourself, when you're alone, and you've committed some sort of sin, when you're out of town, on a business trip, and you're away from your family, and you've done something that's considered sinful, God will judge you for that secret thing. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. And finally, God will judge all of us 
for every idle word that we've spoken. Matthew 12, 36. Those three things alone, the Bible says God will judge. He will judge each and every one of us for those things. So let's talk this morning about the second coming. What we did last week was we went through second, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. We went through those. But this time, when we go through it, I want to add, we want to add some other scriptures in so we get a full picture of what's going to happen when Christ returns. So if you will, uh, go down to um, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. All right? He's going to descend with a shout. It's going to be a, an audible and a physical event. He is not going to come back in secret, as some, deno- as some denominations preach. It's not going to be a secret when he comes back. Every eye will see him. Every ear will hear him. But what else do we know about this second coming? What else do we know from Scripture? For he will descend from heaven with a shout. What else do we know about this? What does the shout do? Go to Matthew. I'm sorry, go to John. Chapter 5, verse 28. John chapter 5, verse 28. If someone gets there before me, you go ahead and read it. All who are in the grave will hear his voice. They will hear his voice via this shout. The good will come forth to receive their just reward. And that's what it says here. He will descend with a shout, and those who are alive or those who are dead in Christ will rise first. It is a very structured event. Now, when you have something that's very structured in your life, that you know everything about it except maybe the when... What does this give you? What does this offer you? It offers you a time to be ready. It offers you peace of mind because there's not going to be any doubt. There's no doubt in your mind what's going to happen. You know. God has told you. So he's going to descend with a shout. But more than that, if you go over to 2 Thessalonians, and we'll study this in a couple of weeks, there's something else that's going to happen too. Go to 2 Thessalonians verse chapter 1. What else is the Lord going to do when he descends from heaven? In verse 7, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with who? He didn't mention this before. He didn't mention this in the first book. He mentions it in the second. But he's going to, be, he's going to return in the clouds with who? With his mighty angels. Now, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians, there's going to be, a, there's going to be, there's going to be one angel that's going to have prominence. And that's the voice of the what? The archangel. And who's the archangel? What's his name? Michael. Jude 1 verse 9. He is the archangel. He's the chief angel. As I understand it from reading about the archangel, he is the chief. He is the archangel. He is the chief angel. And so he will be leading along with Jesus. He will be leading the return in flaming fire, 2 Thessalonians says. They're going to return from heaven. They're going to return. It's going to be an audible, and it's going to be a visual event. And it's going to signal the end of earth's history. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that this is going to signal the end of earth's history? 2 Peter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter verse 3, chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter 
2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as what? A thief in the night. We talk about that when we talk, we get over to chapter 5 after we've talked about the return. We're going to talk about the when. The when is he's going to come as a thief in the night. Why use the analogy of a thief in the night? What, what's, the, what's the reason for using this analogy? If you knew when the thief was coming, Jesus said this. If you knew when the thief was coming, what would you do? Well, I'd, I'd sit by the door with a shotgun. I'd be prepared. No less so. You should be ready, prepared. Jesus told parable after parable after parable about the, the need to be prepared, the need to be ready. And there will be many who won't be ready. There will be many who will be in an unprepared state. And we talk about that in chapter 5. Those are the children of darkness who won't be prepared. But we're children of the day. And we are to live in a prepared state. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. This is the end of earth's history. God destroyed the earth once by rain, by water, in which Noah and his family were saved. The next time, the earth will be destroyed with fire. It will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Knowing this, what should you do? You should be prepared. Be prepared for that second coming. So there's going to be a shout. All those who are in the tombs are going to arise. Now it says that there are good and bad people who are going to be raised up. But we know from this that the dead in Christ will do what? They will come out first. Now according to Paul... In 1st uh, Corinthians or 2nd Corinthians 5, 10, and 11, at that moment, we'll be transformed. We'll be changed. And I told everybody last week, blink your eyes. That's how fast it'll happen. The twinkling of an eye will be transformed. We'll take this corruptible body that we've got, this corruptible body that has to have pacemakers installed, this corruptible body that has arthritis, this corruptible body that has problems with the heart and the liver and cancer and all of these things. All these things are going to be changed, changed in the twinkling of an eye, and we'll put on incorruptible. But the, the process is very well defined. The dead in Christ... Now, why was Paul talking to the Thessalonian brethren about the dead in Christ? These are the people they were worried about. They had come to Paul, or they, Paul had learned that these people were very concerned about well, what happens to my husband who has passed away? What happened to my wife? How about my child who was of accountable age and had been baptized and was part of this new Thessalonian church, this new church in Thessalonica? What happens to them? And Paul lays it out. The dead in Christ, they'll rise first. Why? I don't know. That's what God tells me is going to happen. I don't question God. The dead in Christ will rise first. So there's going to be a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. There's going to be Christ and his mighty angels returning in flaming fire. There's going to be a trumpet. We talked about the trumpet last week. What does the trumpet signify? It's the Shekinah. It is the return. It is the call. 
In the Old Testament, the trumpet called. People were called. People came when the trumpet was, was, was blown. The trumpet of God will sound. And the order of rising will take place. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain. God could come back before the end of this class this morning. He could come back before we return for evening services tonight. He could return in the next moment. Or this moment. Or this moment. But those of us who are alive and who remain will be caught up. These transformed bodies, this, this corruptible, put on, putting on incorruptible, these bodies will rise to meet him in the air. It's not coming back to earth to set up a thousand year reign. Sorry. We talked about dispensational premillennialism last week. None of that, none of that is, none of that is true. That's, that's abiblical. He's going to come back and we're going to meet him in the air. And thus shall we ever be with the Lord. It's the final event. Only one event remains. Judgment. And so we see the complete plan laid out for us, except the when. And Paul goes into great detail in the last chapter of this book and in the remaining chapter in 2 Thessalonians in those chapters, talking about the need to be prepared. And this is something that we never need to lose sight of, the aspect of preparedness. Now look at the last verse in this, chapter 18. Why do these things that Paul has just talked about, why should they bring comfort? Well, we know that they bring comfort to the Thessalonian brethren because this was a question that they had asked. And Paul lays out the answer. Knowledge is power. And these people, now that they know that there is a hope, which he talked about earlier in the chapter, remember, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We talked about the fact that, that, that TV personalities and movie personalities and people die and, oh, there's just such great, oh, they're in heaven now. I don't know that. They could have lived a hellish existence in this life. But people have to console themselves who are not of the body, who are not of the faith. They have to console themselves by telling themselves, even though this person led a hellish existence and was an awful person, oh, well, now they're in heaven, they're at peace. Well, Luke 16 tells me they're probably not at peace, but I'm not their judge. Another will judge them. But we are not like those who have no hope. And that to me is one of the most comforting scriptures along with this description, letting me know what's going to happen and telling me, here's what's going to happen. Your only, your only concern is you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. And so he says, comfort one another with these words. Oh, those of us who have the hope, that anchor of the soul, those of us who have that hope, we're comforted in this. Now, if there's someone today that's, that's watching this on the Internet or someone here who's not a member of the church, you don't have that hope. You don't have that comfort. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You need to be prepared and this book tells you everything you know to be prepared, to be ready when he comes again. 
Questions or comments about this last portion? Something, something about the second coming that, that uh, maybe in Scripture that, that's been missed, that I missed? Something you have a question about? Right, and that's going to occur. That's going to occur at the judgment. That's going to occur at the judgment seat. You know, the, the Father has given the judgment over to the Son, because He came and He was our Savior. He's told us everything that's needful for salvation, everything that we need to know that pertains to life and godliness. And so there's going to be a separation. Brother Winkler talked about this extensively in one of his sermons. One of my favorite sermons, probably that he ever preached, was about that great day at the judgment bar. And I've taken elements of that, and I've, I've, I've even preached on elements of that. The elements, are, the elements of, of, of being at the judgment bar of God are sound, and they're all biblical. And if you're not prepared, they should strike dread in your heart because you're not prepared. Andy? That's right. Sure. Yeah. Most of the Gentiles, you know, believed, you know, when you're dead, you're dead like Rover. You're dead all over. You know, you're not. There's nothing after this. It's just a. And there are still some today who believe do believe that. There are other denominations who believe that uh, that uh, that death is a uh, soul sleeping. And while those who are dead in Christ do sleep, and we talked about that last week, the ver- the using the, the term sleep here is talking about those Christians who are asleep. They're asleep in Christ. All of those people who used to occupy these seats, and I can point to every one of them that used to occupy these seats that are no longer with us, are asleep in Christ. I have that assurance. Faithful members of Christ who are no longer with us. Sister Thomas's husband. Others who have been here and who are not here. And all those who will die prior to our Lord returning. All of them are asleep in Christ. And man, they're the lucky ones. They're going to get to rise first. And what a wonderful thing it will be. There's knowing. There's recognition beyond the grave. Luke 16 tells us that. The rich man lifted up his eyes. He had the ability to see. He lifted up his eyes being in what? Being in torment. There's physical pain associated with separation from God. Just as there is physical pleasure in being a a part of the faith, being a part of his family. Don't be deceived. When you're dead, you're not just dead like Rover. There is recognition. There is physical pain there is remembrance remember the rich man what did he want what did he want Lazarus to do he wanted Lazarus to go back and preach to his brothers so that they don't end up where I am so he knew where he was they have the prophets they have the Bible today they had the prophets them let them hear them and the analog for us is, let them hear the Bible. The Bible speaks if we will only listen. All right, chapter 5. Chapter 5, last chapter in the book. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you do not need that anything be written to you, for you yourselves well know that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We've talked about this already. We've talked about the fact that he's going to come back as a thief. 
Why, why is it described as a thief? Because there's, not, there's no knowing when a thief is going to break in. Could be breaking into your house right now. Could be breaking into your house right now. You don't know that. You go home today and find your house in a shambles because someone's broken into it. Well, if I'd known he was going to break into it, I'd have been prepared. That's, that's the point. That's the point is to be prepared. The times and the seasons, Paul doesn't need to talk to them about the times and the seasons because we don't know the when. We don't know that he's going to come back before Christmas. We don't know that he's going to come back before Thanksgiving. We don't know that he's going to come back before the top of the hour, the bottom of the hour. There's no need to, no need to worry about that. No need to, to be concerned about the times or the seasons, Paul says. You just worry about being prepared. You just worried about being, being in a constant state of readiness. When they are saying peace and safety, when they are saying peace and safety, what about, what about peace and safety? What, there's two elements to this with regard to what he's talking about um, with regard to peace and safety. When they say peace and safety, when you think of peace, what do you think of? What do you think of when you say peace? One is everything. One is external and one is internal. Okay. When they say peace and safety, okay, peace. When they say peace, and there is no peace because the world is, is such a way. Is there peace in the world today? Is there is there peace in the world when you you know, heaven forbid you turn on your television set and watch the news? I've stopped doing that. The last thing you're going to see in this world is you're going to see a, a time of peace. There will always be wars and rumors of wars. So one is external, that peace is external. What's the internal? The internal is safety. My safety, my family's safety. The Christian family's safety. And so when he talks about when he talks about peace and safety, then he's talking about external and internal things that are that are going on. When they say that, well then destruction comes. And he then compares it to birth pains in a pregnant woman and there is no escape. For those of you in the audience who have had children, birth pains. Do you know when? Do you know when the baby? Do you know when the baby is going to come? You get a pretty good. You get a pretty good idea, is my understanding. I've never had a baby, so I don't. I don't know. This, this, these transgender people, I think they're probably maybe asking for a little bit more than they really want, as I understand birthing is not a a fun event. But when that baby is ready to come, does it come at a scheduled time? Do we know three o'clock this afternoon? So so is going to have going to have we're going to have the baby at three o'clock this afternoon. Do we? When does that baby come? Whenever it wants to. Whenever it's ready. And that's what he's talking about here. There's no schedule. There's no scheduled time when that when that mother is going to give birth to that child. That child is going to come when that child is ready to come or be taken out. Uh, if you know if there are, if there are issues, but what he's talking about here, destruction comes on them suddenly as birth pains to a pregnant woman, and there's no means to escape. And he he talks about this suddenness, this unexpectedness, all with respect to preparedness. You don't know when this is going to happen. You need to be ready over and over again, even as labor comes upon a woman suddenly. So destruction comes upon this ungodly world. Implied in the last statement, there is no escape. But in verse 4 he says, but you brothers, that you brothers are not in darkness, 
that the day should overtake you like a thief. All right, now, so he switches here now, and he's going to begin talking about elements of the day and elements of the night. All right, what do we, what do we assign to elements of the day? Hmm? Good. When you walk outside, it's what? It's light. These are all things that Jesus talked about. Light. Good. And so these are things associated with the day. Conversely, what do we talk about with things associated with the night? Huh? Wickedness, darkness. Think about the last time you walked into a room that was, in the, in the middle of the night, a room that was pitch black. Can't see your hand in front of your face. Can't find the light switch on the wall. There's an element, there's an element of what? Fear, uncomfortableness. So you find that light switch, and when you turn that light switch on, that room is bathed in the day or the light. There's comfort to be driven, to be derived from that. Children are often scared of the day. No. Children are often scared of the night. They're scared of the dark. Is there a monster under my bed? It's dark in here. Andy? It's also electric lights. Sure. And this is even oils or lamps or candles that's on at night. Right. Right. And those sorts of things. That's what happened. Right. My father always taught me, and I taught both the boys growing up, nothing good ever happens after midnight. Nothing good ever happens after midnight. And some, some, have learned, some have learned that tale, unfortunately, because they just weren't paying attention. But nothing good ever happens after, after midnight. So we have this concept of day and night. We have this concept of light and darkness. This is, this is order and chaos, if you will, if you want to look at it in those kind of terms. There's order in the world, and there's chaos in the world, and chaos always occurs in darkness, how many of you? How many of you have lived? And to Andy's point, it's really it's an inter, it's interesting to note. I lived in South America for for a couple of years, and I lived in a small town. And when when it got dark, it, it got dark. No street lights. If you live out in the county, you know I, I, we used to live in the county. Now we've moved into the city. But you live in the county, and no street lights. When it gets dark, it gets dark. And in these a lot of these towns in Europe. In the Middle East, in, in South America, and other places not as developed in this, you know, for our first world problems, you know, it's a first world problem at night when we pull out of the church. And I got these purple, there's these purple lights now. Holy moly, those things just drive me crazy. I, I, man, they put that on our street. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to buy some blackout blinds or something. That, that's nuts. That's crazy. Those lights are so purple at night. I don't know if they're a new kind of LED or some kind of a new light. Yeah, they are. They're, they're. They're not good. They're just, wow, they're wild. But, yeah, so, um, but if you've ever lived any place, you know, where there's not been, where there's not been light at night, it gets, it gets dark. And it's darkness not like you've never seen darkness before. I mean, just go out, in, just go out into the county where you can see all the stars and you don't have the, the bright lights of the city. And you'll understand a lot more about talking about light and dark. But anyway, so... As Christians, we're not in darkness. Well, if what's the scripture? If we walk in the, as he is in the, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us. That's an active verb. You know that. 
It's a, and the cleansing is continual. Well, what happens if we don't walk in the light? Well, if we don't walk in the light, we're not in the light as he's in the light. That's the converse of that. And we walk in darkness. Bad things happen to you when you walk in the darkness. You might stub your toe. You might stall, fall down a flight of stairs. You might get stabbed by somebody or whatever. Bad things happen. But if you're in the light, those kind of things can't happen to you because you're aware. But you brothers are not in darkness. So Christians are not in the darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. Meaning subtly he's saying you're prepared. For all of you are children of light and children of the day. We are neither of the night nor of the darkness. Does that mean once we are children of the light we can never be children of the darkness? No, no. Book of Revelation tells us that he was going to come to one of the churches and he was going to take their candlestick. He was going to take their light. He was going to take their light away from them. He's going to take their candlestick out and it was going to get dark in that church. And that can, that can happen to a church. It's just like in an individual. That can happen to a congregation. Jesus told us that in Revelation, that, he could take, that the, our candlestick could be taken from us. Therefore, let us not sleep as the rest. Now, there's an element in all of this preparedness. There is an element of life going on from day to day and not being so consumed by the second coming that you just stop doing things. You just stop living life. You just stop going about your daily chores and working. He talked about this earlier. He talked about people that were waiting. They were so anxious for the second coming. They just stopped doing everything. They were just waiting. They were sitting out on the hillside. They were sitting up on the roofs. We've heard these stories about people that have said, oh, Jesus is coming back on December 14th. He's going to come back at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He told me that. So everybody gets up on top of the roof and they're, I guess they're trying to get a a little closer to heaven so that, that it's not such a heavy lift for Jesus. I'm not sure why. But they're either on the side of the mountain or they're on a roof or they're somewhere. And the time comes and goes and, you know, then the prophet says, well, I, I, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Um, it's going to be day after tomorrow at, at 3 o'clock. And so they all gather back again, you know, just like a bunch of, like a bunch of sheeple. They gather again and the same thing happens again. Don't bother to read the book that says we don't know. Nobody's, nobody, God's not telling anybody. He's not, it's going to, why does he not tell us when he's coming back? You ever ask yourself that question? Why did God not tell us when he's coming back? Why did Jesus not tell us when he's coming back? Do what? Okay. There's an element of preparedness, the need to be prepared. Right? Go ahead. But I think there's also something to be said for the aspect of unpreparedness. And to Andy's point, if we, if we, knew, if we knew Jesus was going to come back at noon today, he's going to come back at noon. He's going to come back in 35, 40 minutes. He's going to be back in 40 minutes. What would happen? What would happen at the doors of this church? There would be such a rush of people getting in here to get baptized who never darkened the doors of the, of the church port. Now, there would be a lot of people that would just say, I don't care. I don't care. But just think about the flood of people that would be coming in here, trying to get baptized just to get ready. How effective, how effective is that baptism? It's ineffectual. But how many people? Mm-hmm. 
I believe they are too, but I believe there's a, I believe there's a large component in the world, and I'm not saying this to be a to be a, a, a Debbie Downer or whatever. But I believe there are a lot of people in the world who are just so comfortable walking in darkness they just don't care. Right. 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 And there'd be those people if Jesus said he was coming back at noon today. You can bet you there'd be people coming in here at one minute till. And there'd be some people that'd be late. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you cut me some slack? I'm, I, I got stuck in traffic. There were so many people coming to the church. So, you know. So, the Christian life is a Christian. The Christian life, the Christian walk is a walk of preparedness. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Because you don't know when the Lord's coming back. We need to be constantly ready. We have multiple examples of people who weren't ready. We have multiple examples of those who were ready in that same scenario. And the ones who were ready were blessed. The ones who were not ready were not blessed. And we don't want to be in that crowd. Was that the first or the second bell? I, first? Excellent. All right, so then he talks about sleeping. Now, in this instance, sleeping from chapter 4 was sleeping with regard to Christians who have died. Those who are those Christians who are, was that the second bell? All right. We'll pick up there next next week. People start running out the doors.